What's up, everybody? This is Adam Rankin. You are listening to Jay on the Fantasy Football Plug Podcast, perhaps the greatest podcast in fantasy football history. Jay is a man who will one day usurp me as the greatest bald fantasy analyst in the world. But until that time, I will hold on to that title. But if you could just listen to Jay, I would consider that a personal favor to me. Tune in, this is where it's at. The Fantasy Football Plug Podcast. You know that we got it popping. Oh, yeah, that's apparent. Got a shout out to my homie, one and only Jay Parrish. Yeah, tune in, you already know what's up. They call him the Fantasy Football Plug. It's time to turn it up. I bet you can't get enough. Got him bouncing like they in Louisiana, huh, bruh? Hey, the Fantasy Football Plug Podcast. Let's go. All right, (laughs) let's go. Ladies and gentlemen, go. (laughs) Welcome to another episode of Plugged In With Jay. I, of course, am Jay, your host, and I'm here with a very special guest, David Cantor, the CEO and agent of DEC Management. How you doing, my man? I'm living the dream, man. I'm just responding to a text message. I apologize. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. I'm going to sit back and fold my arms and act important and answer some questions. You are way better dressed than you'll ever see me on one of these podcasts. Man, it's, it's like... I should take the hat off, though, because then it gives me, like, these dark bags under my eyes. My lighting is so bad in here. I know. Mine is, too. I look like I got punched in the eye. I got to buy, like, that Paris Hilton, Kim Kardashian, you know, the bright light. Oh, yeah. All the filters and shit. I have a, I have a hurricane lantern that I... I was, on a, I was on one of these a couple weeks ago, and they were like, dude, your lighting is terrible. Like, half your face is black, and then you turn this way. You know, it's dark over here, and you, know, you look like you're 100 years old. And I'm like, all right, well, let me go get my hurricane lanterns. So I went and bought – I got my hurricane lanterns. Right. And I put them on the floor, and I rolled over another chair in my home. This is my home office. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and they were like, oh, my gosh, you have studio lighting. And I'm like, dude, the hurricane lanterns. <laughs> Isn't so, that crazy? Hopefully the people on YouTube that are brave enough to give me five minutes of their day will, uh, will appreciate bad lighting. Oh, they'll, they're oh, fine. watch this. Let me see about this one. What you got? I'll put my, uh, put my iPhone. Oh, look at that. There's look at iPhone. that. Look. <laughs> I'm not as ugly as I, I want to be. No, I'm kidding. That'll work. <laughs> All right, my man. So I got some information here. I'm going to read off for my viewers and listeners um, just so they can kind of get a little more of a background of you. So, you are the head of DEC Management, the worldwide leader in sports management, contract negotiations, marketing, endorsements, and representation. And the list goes on and on. Yeah, man. Living the dream. Uh, 24 years and over 1.8. 25 billion. now. 25. Okay. And man, just crazy. 1.8 billion probably went up too, huh? Uh, I, I don't, you know, that's, I don't even know where that came from, to be honest with you. I think I was doing something for where I went to college. And part of their class, this is maybe a year or two ago, part of their class was to add up my total value of all the deals that I did, which is weird because that's just like, I don't keep score that way. I keep scoring. If my clients are happy, then I'm happy. Sure. Yeah, exactly. I get to that too. Like I've, I've, I've read all about this and, you know, it's, it just shows like a lot of people see value, but you're absolutely right. The way that you are with your clients, if your clients are happy, then all is right in the world. Um, 2016, 
you negotiated a record-breaking five-year, $105 million extension for DeMarcus Tank Lawrence, probably one of my favorite defensive players, man. He's awesome. Um, I mean, it's incredible. And not even the tip of the iceberg representing all that you've done. I mean, before all of this, though, you had to have the dream. You've had to have the idea, the want um, to, to become one of the best in sports management. I mean, how did all this begin for you? So, wow, it's a long story. So um, I grew up in South Jersey with my father and very, very young, was exposed to a lot of professional baseball players. Baseball is my first love. Um, really thought that I was good enough when I was younger to become a pro baseball player. And I was the kind of kid um, as I was growing up, 10, 11, 12, 13, you know, I was number one or number two in the division, in the league, in the community. Sure. And so as I got older, I think I, I probably peaked at a pretty young age. I probably 15 or 16 might have been my best baseball years of my life. And, uh, and so my dad was in a business in, in New Jersey where he lived. My mom lived here in Florida. And I would kind of, I was by, by community. I would go to New Jersey for the summers and then Florida for the winters and school. And when I was 14 or 15, I moved to New Jersey full time for, for my last years of high school. A terrible baseball program. Um, we played on a dirt field next to a, 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 an airport, really, next to Bader Field in Atlantic City, New Jersey. I mean, the worst field you could ever imagine. Some days it was like you were trying to dodge razor blades because the ball would hit off a rock and, you know, catch you in the side of the head. And so my dad was in a, in a food service business that delivered food, coffee, uh, coffee creamers, cheese, cream cheese to the casinos in Atlantic City. Okay. And, and some of the athletes that were partners in the business were pro baseball players. So I got exposed to being around that culture and, and what a pro baseball player was like and what their life was like very, very young. And I realized probably my senior year of college, high school that I wasn't going to be a pro athlete. Like I went, I remember going to a Phillies open tryout. There were maybe a hundred kids. I remember where it was, like it was yesterday in Ocean City, New Jersey. And I think I was like 13th. And one of the scouts came up to me and he's like, you know, you're, you're good. He's like, you're not, you're not bad. And I was like, well, am I good enough to get drafted? And he goes, no way. And he said it just like that. No way. And it was, it hurt. Like it, it still hurts even repeating yeah. it, you know, 30, 40 years later. And um, I guess 30 years later. And so I'm only 47. So I realized like maybe, you know, the baseball side, maybe I'll go into representing guys. I really was a student of, of sabermetrics and analytics that have taken over baseball and now kind of actually they moved past it um, with, with like Billy Bean and those guys in the early 90s. And so I started studying a lot of that and just learning about statistics. And I was always kind of an inside baseball guy, you know, what to do in this count with this number of runners on and obviously it's not football. Right. And so I had played football growing up, football and baseball. I was also in high school. I swam and I dove. And I started to get much better at football as my baseball career got worse. And so I started – and I always loved football. I was obsessed with the Dolphins as a kid. You know, Dan Marino was like a god to me. And I'm, I'm, I don't want to say we're friends. We're not going out to dinner together. But I know him very well now for the last 25 years. And, and – I remember Dan Marino going to the Orange Bowl when I was 12 or 13, and David Woodley was the quarterback. And Dan Marino walking out like a Bud Light in his hand, and I like 
basically ran him over to try to get his autograph. And I was one of those kids. I collected autographs. You could see all my toys and crap. Oh, yeah. All my players' autographs on the walls. I mean, there's a whole other thing here that I can't do because I have a computer and I have to physically pick it up and turn. But, I mean, this whole wall is helmets and autographed baseball. So, anyway, so sports has been my life my whole life. Um, and it was – I'm an only child. It was a way for me to meet friends. It was a way for me to socialize. And so I started around 16, 17 after my terrible Phillies audition. Um, and I'm still a Phillies fan. Oh, hold on. Much to the chagrin of, of everyone in the world because the Phillies suck, but that's a conversation for another day. Hold on, so, hold on. David, David. So I decided, like, wait, go ahead. I'm sorry. So, no, that's okay. You said you were 13th of, out of how many kids? Don't say 14. Either. Maybe like 120, 140. That's fucking, excuse me. That's good, man. That's. Dude, drop a couple F-bombs. We'll get more views on YouTube. So my five-year-old will be in here. He loves yeah, I get, I get shit from my family out there. So, yeah. uh, believe me, I get it all the time now because I, I have three boys. Um, and so, you know, the F-bombs in the sports business are part of life. So in the car business, I, hear you know, I, I realized I probably wasn't going to play major league baseball. So I, what I did was kind of switched my emphasis with my family about, hey, where can I play college baseball? And where could I maybe even also try to play college football? And so I graduated high school at 16 as I was just turning 17. So I'm very young because in Florida, not because I'm smart by any stretch of imagination, <laughs> but in Florida in the 70s and 80s, everyone started moving here. They changed the tax laws. There was a huge migration of people from the Northeast down South because of obviously weather and, and still going on now because of COVID. And so high schools and grade schools got over overwhelmed with numbers of kids. And so they pushed me from kindergarten into first grade. So I was at five years old in first grade, which means you graduate high school at 16 or 17. So I skipped a grade. Doesn't mean I'm smart. So uh, make a long story much longer. I ended up going to a prep school in Massachusetts called Worcester Academy. Worcester. And Worcester Academy was really, really good at getting kids to big-time college football programs and big-time college basketball programs and big-time college baseball programs. Okay. So I go to Worcester, and football had switched because I think around 15 or 16, I decided I, I liked girls. Like, you know, you play sports your whole life, and, you know, 12, 13, you like girls. But now 15, 16, that becomes your – and this is pre-phone. This is pre-texting. It's a different experience than it is now for, for my children. And so if we had like Tinder when we were kids, Jesus. I mean, I would, I, I'd be dead. I certainly would be divorced. I certainly would be married. I would definitely have some type of venereal or sexually transmitted disease. <laughs> and, and I would be on most wanted posters in probably 14 states. So, I mean, Tinder, Facebook, Instagram, it's all it's lunacy. For them now. If, if you consider what you're able to, I still, by the way, can't get my mouse to work on my computer. So make a long story much, much longer. I go to this prep school and I had realized that in order to meet girls and in order for girls to like you, football players got the hot girls. It's, by the way, still that way, although basketball players have probably taken over. Mm. And baseball players get good-looking women too. Uh, I think a lot of them get golfers now. I mean, there's, there's women that gravitate towards certain sports. And so in prep school, I was all about football. And coincidentally, our football team was really good. And so I went in as a quarterback, and I left as a wide receiver because I wasn't good enough to be the starting quarterback. Our, our guy ended up at University of Miami. 
saying a lot. Okay. So I played wide receiver, and Worcester being a Massachusetts school, Ithaca College, the head coach at Ithaca is a mass guy. And he came and recruited Worcester Academy and saw me play. And I had played well enough that he walked up to me and was like, hey, I'd like to sit with you and tell you what we do. And what excited me about Ithaca was two things. They had just won in 1988, it seems like a thousand years ago, the national championship in football and the national championship in baseball, same year, which is unheard of, right? Right, yeah. And so he said to me in his, in his mass hole accent, you can do both here if you're good enough. If you're good enough and you can play baseball and you can play football and you can make the team. So I didn't care where Ithaca was. I went, I had like an invited walk on in Miami and some other places where I could just get a tackling dummy. And I thought I'd go to, I really did believe this when I was 17 years old at Worcester Academy. I thought I'd go to Ithaca and by like my sophomore year, they'd retire my jersey. I thought like, I was like division three, that's bullshit. Like who wants to division three is like, you know, 13th grade of high school. These guys are all going to suck. And of course in fall baseball, I mean, I was getting murdered. I couldn't, I couldn't hit a ball. I, my guys were crushing my pitches. It was a very frustrating first six or seven days on the, on the diamond. And I kind of fell out of love with baseball as a player because I wasn't good enough. Right. All of a sudden, I'm very good at football, and it's like, wait, I might be able to actually get on the field. And so Ithaca had a JV and a, and a varsity, and I learned very quickly that Ithaca was famous for having the best television radio program in the country. Really? Yeah. At the time, I think they were number two behind Syracuse. They're still top five, I would think. It's insane if you find all of the people that went to Ithaca that are on TV, it is Syracuse and Ithaca. It's like every broadcaster, every sportscaster, every, the, the guy that's the famous guy on ABC news world tonight, David Muir. He was my classmate. You know, that guy's a monster. He's a, that's the top of the top of the world. Right. Yeah. So, so Barry was Syracuse too, I believe. Who? Matthew Barry from ESPN. Matt's a Syracuse guy. There's a ton. I mean, so much Syracuse people. So, the Roy H. Park School communication, first day, first class ever, college, freshman, walk-in, communications 101. First time I've ever been in a, in a room where there's stairs and there's, you know, bi-leveled seats. Right. And the, the teacher clicks on like a microphone practically. And he goes, this is the first thing he says, I'll never forget as long as I have. He goes, last year there were 400,000 applicants for 5,900 jobs or whatever the numbers were. Damn. So if you don't live it, eat it, sleep it, and breathe it, if you're not willing to wake up and do the 4 a.m. drive time radio show in Wichita, Kansas, and make $20,000 a year, and I'm like, $20,000 a year? That's shit money. Who wants to make $20,000 a year? And this is, by the way, 1991. Uh, then you need to leave. We have a two-week open registration window at Ithaca where you're free to drop your major without any penalties and pick up anything else. Wow. It goes, I'll give you guys 10 minutes to think about it, I'm going to go use the restroom. Feel free. Don't be embarrassed to leave. So everybody's, you know, nobody's leaving. Everybody's looking around. And I, I was the editor of my school paper. I liked journalism a lot, but I didn't, it, I didn't love it. It wasn't like my be all end all. I did want to be like a famous broadcaster at one point in time, like a Bob Costas or Harry Callis because of Philly. Um, and so uh, Dave Zinkoff was the famous announcer for the Sixers. who had a great voice back in the day. These are all people before you. You're much younger than me. So I hate Not you much. for that. 
So uh, I got up, only person in the class. I took that long walk down the stairs, felt a thousand eyes in the back of my head. And I walked straight across campus to the registrar's office and I dropped my major. And lo and behold, I'm at football practice one day, maybe a month and a half later. And someone's like, yo, what's your major? And I was like, I don't have one yet. They're like, oh man, you like sports, don't you? And I'm like, uh, yeah, we're at football practice, dying right now. He's like, you should, you should do sports management. And I was like, what the fuck is sports management? I, I mean, and back then, 1990, 1991, remember, no Jerry Maguire. There's no, no one knows a Drew Rosenhaus. No one knows a David Falk. Right. The world, it's a brand new world. Like Lee Steinberg, maybe you might have heard of him, but you sure as hell didn't know what he looked like. You didn't know that he spit dip. You didn't know that he had a you know, substance issue with alcohol. So, and that's not to knock Lee. And so... So I go and I'm like, hey, what's sports management? I start meeting people and they, because of Ithaca uh, and playing sports there, they helped me get an internship with the Florida Marlins. So in 1994, I come to Florida. The Marlins are a brand new team. Um, I was able to basically have the run of the building. They, there, it wasn't like there was that many employees. They were sharing space with the Dolphins in the Dolphin Stadium. Okay. And they locked out the season. 1994, the strike happened. It was a right. strike. They canceled the World Series, and I got fired that same day. I think it was August 12, 1994. Check your Googles. And I remember knowing enough about athletes, having been around the guys from Atlantic City, having been around the Dolphins players, having tried to be one myself, that I thought, these guys really need better people working for them. Maybe I should go to law school. So I go to law school, I get into law school, I go to University of Miami School of Law, and now being an agent is like a thing. It's, a, it's not a big thing, but you're, there's a groundswell of people trying to get into the agency industry. And I'm in law school my first year at the University of Miami. I come back down south because Ithaca's fucking freezing and I, I couldn't live up there. It's one of the worst places I've ever been in my life. Sorry, <laughs> Ithaca College, but the weather sucks. Uh, beautiful school, beautiful campus, beautiful people, love them all, but the weather sucks. And uh, I end up getting pulled over by a cop at a gas station for a broken right taillight. Now, I, I can barely nail a hammer into the wall, like all the, the Weddell jerseys and all this shit. My wife does all that stuff. She's, she's, she's the guru at that. And so, you too? Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. If I do that, so, be falling down, it'd be horrible. I've got something right here that needs to get hung up that I had from when I was on Sons of Anarchy, the TV show. And it's my leather kit. It's the script. It's pictures of me in the when, cast. When were and, you on Sons of Anarchy? That's one of our favorite uh, Season six, episode four, when they blow up the clubhouse. Uh, okay. Here, here, this is going to be really – talk about fucking ADD. <laughs> she's, she's watched every bit of it and I'm just getting into it now and we're on season three. Oh man, that's fucking sick. That's awesome. This comes out on TV, but there I am. There's my bracelet I wore, my bandana, the script, my cut. Turn it just a little bit to the right. There you go. Just like that. I can see you there. Uh, Perfect. There we go. Man. <laughs> yeah, Eric Weddle and I uh, got to be on the show because of a guy by the name of Chris Reed who played Filthy Phil. Mm -hmm. And uh, he's a huge Chargers fan. 
he's walking through the parking lot one day and he sees this thing called Weddle Way, which is right. all of Eric Weddle's friends and families that, that had a tailgate zone. And one of the guys goes, filthy Phil, sons of anarchy, fuck yeah. And he goes, who are all you people? I'm like, oh, my cousin plays for the Chargers. It's Eric Weddle. He's like, oh my God, Eric Weddle's my second favorite Charger ever. He's like, look, I, don't, I can't give you a cell phone number, but take his agent. He's on Twitter. Three days later, I get a DM on Twitter. I didn't even know what a DM was back then. <laughs> I just so, learned. Hey, man, uh, my name's Chris Reed. I'm an actor. Uh, I met some of Weddle's people. Would love to have you guys out on the set. And I, like, looked at it, and I was like, yeah, right, bullshit. And just, like, you know, like, didn't even answer. Love Sons of Anarchy as a fan. Watching the show, credits roll, and I see Chris Reed, and I'm like, is this the same guy? Like, there's nah, that can't be possible, right? Because I didn't see his face or anything on the DM. Go to the DM. I'm like, holy shit. I'll never forget it as long as I live. I was like, holy shit. I tech I DM him instantly. Like, hey man, here's my cell phone number. Can you call me? Phone rings three seconds later. We're instant best friends. He's I'm like, listen, I don't know if there's any way ever. I if Eric is gonna go on set, no matter when it is, I need to be there. He's like, well, where's Eric? Eric lives in San Diego. You live in San Diego, too. Everybody always thinks you live where your players are, right? Like right. I'm in yeah. Dallas. They're like, oh, Demarcus, you live right there. I'm like, no, I live in Florida. <laughs> and uh, so about six months later, he's like, hey, listen, you know, I, I can't really disclose this, but I will. Um, I get a gift when you get killed on the show. They give you a gift. And I was like, oh, you're getting killed off. He's like, yeah. He's like, I gave away a plot point I'm not supposed to. He's like, but I asked, how would you and Eric like to be extras on the show? And I was like, what? I was like, uh, yeah, I'll be on a plane tonight. Like, what do I got to do? Do I have to walk to San Diego or LA, whatever? Yeah. So I call Eric, and Eric's never seen the show, never heard of the show, doesn't watch the show. It's not, it's too violent for his wife and his family, not yeah. his thing. So I'm like, listen, <laughs> you're going to lie for me. You're going to tell them you are the biggest Sons of Anarchy fan in the history of the television show. You're going to tell them that you blog about it in your part-time. You're going to tell them whatever it takes, I'm getting on this fucking show. And you're going to be on the fucking show with me. So the way it works in Hollywood is they don't get everything. It's a week-to-week life, like football. Right. So he calls me up in like the end of June, maybe, and he goes, so can you be here tomorrow? And I'm like, uh, no. What are you talking about? He goes, we have three episodes this season where we need extras. I, he actually says this, I'm not even on the show anymore. He goes, I'll ride in and introduce you to people, but you're going to be what's called, you're going to be like a walk-on extra, but you'll get paid and you'll be like a real member. Because they have a separate, it's, it's completely insane, they have a separate room at Sons of Anarchy uh, in Hollywood, I guess, for like just regular extras, which are people that already look like the characters. Like you could be one of the Aryan nation, no offense, or you could be, a, or you could be, or you could be a gang member. You could be, you could be in the Suns. I, I get you that. You could be in the Suns. You could be, you could be in multiple things. The beard helps. So he goes, the other day we have is like July 4th. And I'm like, dude, I can't go July 4th. Like it's, you know, July 4th holiday. He's like, well, then the last day is July 10th. So I call Eric. He's like, yeah. He's like, can you grow a beard? And I'm like, oh, man, I hate a beard. I can't grow a beard. It's too itchy on. <laughs> so I start growing a beard like nine days, like July 1st, fly out to L.A., play like 36 holes of golf back when I used to be a golf junkie, go to dinner with all my friends. Eric drives up that next day. We go to the set at 11 a.m. We're figuring – I even had a tea time for us at 3 in the afternoon. 
hey, we'll go in at 11, knock it out, meet some people, take two pictures. We walk in, they're like, oh, you guys are a little early. They need you in the makeup trailer. I'm like, huh? Makeup. They're like, yeah, you got to get fitted for your cut. I'm like, cut? I'm like, I'm getting a leather coat? They're like, yeah, you're getting a leather vest. You're the president of the Rogue River from Oregon. I'm like, huh? What? And I knew Rogue River. I'm like, what? They're like, yeah, there's a twist coming where they start telling me plot points. Now, all of a sudden, Kim Coates walks in. And he happens to be a football fan, even though he likes Canadian football because he's Canadian. And I'm like, Tig! Oh, my God, it's fucking Tig! I'm like, dude, so we're taking pictures of the makeup tent. They're giving me a fake tattoo. I get the ball, the anarchy ball on my yep. arm tattooed. Eric gets a full sleeve, like, oh. Good. Then Theo Rossi comes in, you know, the shaved head. Uh-huh. He gets his whole back done with the fake tattoo because it's that episode where he's going to be shirtless. So right. we're, like, in the makeup, and we're talking football. We're talking Staten Island because Theo's from Staten Island. He knows one of my clients, one of Eric's teammates, Steve Gregory. We get Steve Gregory on the phone. Now we're like the – we're boys. We're just boys. Yeah. Next thing we know, it's 2 o'clock. We're like, yo, I don't think we're making the tea time. Right. Like, oh, they didn't tell you guys? Like what? Like this is a night shoot. We can't even shoot until after 9 p.m. Oh. I'm like, wait, what do you mean? So now Katie Siegel walks in. I'm like, oh, my God, it's Katie. It's Mary. Hey, <laughs> yeah. So this is the craziest part about this show. And, there, and there's a great picture of it. I should send it to you directly, text message. Yeah, please do. So, obviously, every girl in the world loves Charlie Hunnam. Every girl, everybody loves he's, – he's peak Charlie, right? Season right. six, Sons of Anarchy, Jax is the show. Big it's time. moved away from Ron Perlman. It's, right. now, it's now Charlie Hunnam's show. And originally, from what I understand, having met people, talked to people, that was not the original direction of the show. But he took over. That was the sex appeal, the groundswell, whatever. So, and by the way, this has nothing to do with my sports agency career, but I'd much rather talk about Sons of Anarchy. Man, this is cool, man. I I, I love getting my my viewers and stuff, stuff that they don't know. Like, this is is awesome. So, the episode that we are on is the day that Charlie turned down uh, the sex books. Mr. Gray. Oh, yeah. Fifty Shades of Gray. That's right. He had, so this is a true story. And I was there and watched it all happen, like in the parking lot of West Hollywood, of a North Hollywood studio lot. I didn't realize he turned that down. I thought it just. He was going to be Mr. Gray. He had actually signed to be Mr. Gray. I knew about that. I just thought they maybe went a different direction. I didn't know that he turned it. (laughs) At the same time, he had also signed to be in a huge mega blockbuster movie called Pacific Rim, sci-fi movie. Mm Mm-hmm. With the aliens in Japan or whatever, people coming out of the water. I don't know. It was fucking horrible. (laughs) That day, he and his agent had to notify the studio. I guess the shoot dates overlapped. Mm. And he still was under contract for Sons. There was no way to manipulate the schedule so he could do all three. Which, I mean, obviously, God bless him that he was able to have that benefit, you know, that that bonus. And they picked Pacific Rim versus being in in 50 shades of gray and he was devastated man he he was his agent came on lot or his manager came on lot they were crying everybody else on the cast was going over to him and talk to him and here we are like i just want to take a picture with the dude <laughs> so of course you know super fan david canner and not fan at all eric weddle have no idea that he's british right so what? he starts yeah yeah, right? So I have no idea he's English. None whatsoever. No clue. We're like, dude, this guy's from L.A. He's tatted. He's cool as fuck. No, not at all, right? So he starts talking to us. And he's like, mate. He goes, mate. He says, just like this. He goes, 
mate, I know nothing about football. He goes, I've been an actor my whole life. He goes, soccer, a little bit, because I played it as a kid. I know nothing about football. And I'm like, dude, we don't care. Like, you're fucking Jack Steller. Like, who cares? So everybody was amazing. Like, some of the greatest people I've ever been, met in my life. Um, they couldn't have been nicer. And more importantly, there's my, there's my son. That's my up, buddy? TV, dude. He loves, he loves whenever – this is Austin. Austin, how you doing, man? Good to meet you. We Jay. talked about when I was on that TV show that you've never seen. I know that you were in it and you grew a beard. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I got a beard. I, I started losing it all up here, buddy. It all started growing down here. If so. you ever do a, a Fortnite or a Minecraft or a Roblox show, Austin, or a drummer, because he happens to be pretty good at the drums, awesome jumping there. Is that right? That's me, yeah. All right, bro. Love you. Go. Be gone. <laughs> Say goodbye. Good to meet you, buddy. Pleasure Weekend. to meet you, Austin. So anyway, going back to my sports agency. So anyway, everybody on Suns, a lot of them I stayed friends with. Um, they invited me out with Eric to play in their charity golf tournaments. Uh, we were involved heavily with my agency overlapping with some of their charities that they do for the military that come back to America and kind of get left behind the boot campaign. We liaised with the, the women that run that campaign. We raised some money. Uh, we bought a foursome and flew out to L.A., and played in back-to-back -back golf events or one golf event. They invited me to the premiere of season six. They invited me to the premiere of season Ooh, seven. They gave me a cast book for the final ride. Um, Tommy Flanagan and I became like super good friends, um, which is incredible because he's one of my favorite actors ever, even before, you know, from Braveheart, from Gladiator. Oh, yeah. Uh, and spent a lot of time with him and Dina's wife. And, you know, he's an incredible guy. And uh, it, it's one of those things in life. I'm sitting here looking at all the stuff I collected. And I said to my wife, like, how the hell did I not put this in a frame? Like, how do I not have all those? It's, I'm never going to be on another TV show like that, right? I mean, I'll never be a TV show like that. So to me, that's, you know, it's like Sopranos. It's like The West Wing. Yeah. It's like, you know, Sons of Anarchy. I mean, these are iconic television shows that, I'm not an actor. I don't know shit about acting. You know, and I had one line, and I think I did an okay job in it. And the funniest part of the whole show, by the way, I guess I should say this. So when you film this episode, you have no idea what they're filming, who's where, and <laughs> this is going to sound so weak. I don't drink beer. I'm not a beer guy. Never been a beer guy. I love scotch, love wine, pretty much anything else but beer. That's not so <laughs> Part of the episode is we're all in the clubhouse and there's a ton of extras and there's a main bar and Jax walks in and finds a pen and on the pen it says like shamrock something and he realizes it's the Irish dropped off some new kegs but they're bombs and everybody has to run out of the clubhouse and then we actually run out and they blow up the fucking clubhouse like I'm not exaggerating to you the reason it's a night shoot is because they had to get LAX, which flies over the set, to shut down air travel for 20 minutes while they actually exploded the clubhouse. Oh, they man. Blew up, they blew up the table, you know, the famous carved table. Uh-huh. They really blew stuff up. It was, it was banana rama. I mean, it was bike, motorcycles flying, and we're all, you know, we're 200 feet back. Eric's sitting on the hood of a car with, with Tommy Flanagan. I'm, like, watching but trying to videotape because I'm like, ah, I'm never going to get this again, right? So, so the, the scene 
you don't know when they film you. So what the first part of the scene comes out with 24 cases of Bud Light bottles. They start popping them all and putting them out by all the extras, right? I guess they just kind of deal with Bud or Bud Light. And all the regular motorcycle dudes who are like hardcore real people and the girls who are either strippers or adult entertainers or hookers, who knows, right, right. are drinking beer. Someone realizes, hey, dude, we're past 11 o'clock at night. We can't let them drink real beer because of the Hollywood laws. They pour out all the beers. Everybody's like, oh, man. And they have to fill them with water. My scene is I'm standing at the table, leaning over, talking to everybody, drinking a beer. If uh -huh. you watch it closely, you'll realize I have no idea how to drink a beer out of a bottle. I'm like, my lips are puckered. I, I look like a complete idiot. <laughs> so now, you, now you forget all about it. That's July. July, June, July, August, September, November, right. I think, or October. The episode rolls around. I'm recording it because there's something else going on work-wise, which is what pays the bills. Sure. And I get a text message from a player on the Dolphins who I don't even represent. And he goes, holy shit, was that you just drinking a beer on Sons of Anarchy? So I'm like, oh my God. So, so now I want to watch the episode, but I want to see me. So everybody's calling me. I, I mean, my phone, I've got Tommy Flanagan calling me. I've got Chris Reed calling me. Weddle's called me because he's on the West Coast, so it debuts later. Did we make the show? And I'm like, I don't want to know. Right. I want to sit on my couch. You want to see it yourself. Watch it just like I watch it every other week. Right. You want to experience it. And this is real story. The episode comes, they go to commercial, they come back from commercial, side of my, the whole side of my face with my shitty beard, <laughs> with my bandana, and I fall off the couch. Like I literally, I couldn't believe it. I was overwhelmed. You don't know you're gonna make the show. You have no idea how they're gonna edit it, right? You figure right, you're right. one of these thousand extra bums. Yeah, they cut your scene completely. And oh, that's, they took my patch off as president. It originally said president on my cut, but then they realized that the president of Rogue River is going to be in season seven and get killed, oh, which, is okay. me, which is me digitally getting my head blown off in season seven. But it's not me. I didn't go to L.A. They didn't film anything. So they took the patch off just in case people, you know, there's crazy fans out there. Some oh, yeah. fan groups and stuff. If they notice the inconsistency, they could say, oh, no, he's patched in, but he wasn't the president. Right. And Eric had vice president on his. So make a long story short, it's definitely one of the most incredible two years of my life, going back and forth to LA, being around the cast and crew, getting to see kind of how Hollywood works, um, and realizing that a lot of those actors and actresses that you see on TV are living check to check and, and show to show. It's pretty, it's pretty disheartening. There's so many working actors that are so incredibly talented that you've seen on, you know, Big Break or you've seen on you know, some other show, and then they kind of just fade away and they're auditioning, auditioning, auditioning. Right. So going back to Ithaca, yeah. since I'm never going to let you talk. Oh, man, I'm here for you. <laughs> well, I want to so, hear your story. Everybody knows who I am. Well, I get my internship with the Marlins. The, the lockout happens. I go to law school. I get pulled over by the cops, and I'm trying to figure out how to fix this right light bulb. I, I, I'm a welfare kid. I come from a broken family. My mom was very, very poor. My dad left her. My dad wasn't involved in my life, a lot of it. And so while I'm in law school, 
you know, we're, I'm not a rich kid going to law school. I'm, I'm taking out law school loans. I'm borrowing from Tom, Dick, and Harry. I'm trying to work. I'm trying to run promotions at nightclubs in South Beach and stuff like that just to make an extra $200 a week. So the cop tells me if, if he gives me a ticket, it's $75. Or I can buy a 99-cent light bulb, and the light bulb's probably burnt out. So I'm upside down in this position trying to fix the light bulb in the back of my car. And through my arm this way, mm -hmm. this green Range Rover pulls up in 1995 or maybe early 96. No one had green Range Rovers, let alone a Range Rover. Right. And this tall, skinny black guy gets out. I look at him and I'm like, holy shit. I do a double take and he walks right by me. And I go, Lamar. And he goes like that and walks into the store. He walks out. I go, yo, you're Lamar Thomas from the Miami Hurricanes, Miami Dolphins, right? And I'm, I'm speed talking. I'm like, I want to be an agent. I want to work for the Marlins. I want to know about this. Who's your marketing guy? Who does this? He's like, man, first of all, hold on. Who the fuck are you? Second of all, I got shit going on. I got to get out of here. Like he was, he was in and out of the store in, you know, 20 seconds. Right. I'm like, yo, can I get your pager number? Because back then nobody had cell phones. Oh, yeah. I was no. like, let me page you, man. Maybe I can beep you and, you know, we can link up. You can tell me about the business. He's like, man, I don't know. Like, who are you? Some 20-year-old kid. So I said, look, you know, I, I run some promotions and parties. You know, I don't know if you're single, blah, blah, blah. There's a lot of girls. And all of a sudden, his ears perked up. And he's like, oh, man, why don't you hit me up? So <laughs> yeah. I, I, I leave. I never fix my taillight because by now the cop's gone. Fuck the cop. And uh, not all police, just that specific one. And I drive back to my apartment and I open up the yellow pages, which I don't even think people know what they are. But back then they were this big, killed a lot of trees back then. I remember. And I start calling sporting good companies all over South Florida. I'm like, Hey, I represent, I, by the way, I don't represent him at the time. I'm like, Hey, I represent Lamar Thomas from the Miami hurricanes. He now plays the Miami dolphins. He was drafted by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Can we get him a free waterbed? Can we get him a free shirt? Can we get him $10,000? And I have no idea if it's a $300 or $3,000. Lamar and I hit it off pretty well. Um, we hang out a bunch of times and he doesn't really have anybody doing his marketing. And eventually I realized that most pro football players, especially have very limited marketing unless you're Drew Brees or, you know, Matt Ryan, or, right. you know, like you mentioned Marcus Allen earlier. And so we start getting them deals. I start getting them deals and I come up with this idea that I'm going to build an entertainer and athlete management agency. We're going to represent divers. We're going to represent actresses. We're going to represent musicians. We're, and I call it team, total entertainer and athlete management. But instead of trying to trademark T-E-A-M, which I know I'm never going to get, I throw in an extra A. So it's T-E-A-A-M. And out of my law school apartment in Coconut Grove, Florida, I start signing guys. Like I get a copy of a contract. I figure out how to edit it on my crappy little computer. I get printed out copies and I go to appearances of other guys that aren't even my clients. And I, I pitch them, I talk to them. And 97, I probably have 15 guys on the Dolphins. Just marketing, but I'm starting to make waves and I'm learning about the contract side of the business as it goes on. 97, 98, I realize that I have to recruit go out on the street, meet players, and try to become their agent. I think I got certified in 96. So 97, I have a bunch of swings and a bunch of misses, but I had some misses with some really big players. Mm -hmm. And I felt, I still don't know, I mean, I don't know if anybody likes me to this day, certainly not your viewers um, and listeners, but, and definitely not you, 
But I do think that guys kind of liked where I was coming from, my passion. And also, they're 21, I'm 23. We're not, you know, 15 years apart. You relate. And a lot of them were telling me my agent kind of doesn't really call me. You know, my agent's just a lawyer who I hired because my uncle got into a DUI and this was the guy. And that, and that still goes on in our industry a little bit. Now, all of a sudden, Jerry Maguire's out. Now, all of a sudden, every kid at law school is like, wait, you're an agent? I want to be a baseball agent. And one of my buddies who I went to law school with became a very, very successful baseball agent who wrote an article about me, which is actually right over there on the wall, my first ever article about me in law school. And now he represents a bunch of baseball players that make way more money than football players will because of guaranteed money. So, 98, I go to the NFL Combine. I start recruiting. Uh, and, and my partners, I had found some money. So in football, especially, there's a, there's a shifting landscape in the last 25 years of agencies basically fronting the costs to train an athlete. Uh-huh. And I was a poor law student. I didn't graduate law school yet in 1998. I graduated in 98. And I realized, I'm, by the way, I'm skipping class nonstop. <laughs> I'm, I'm working 20 hours a day. I'm basically doing the nightclub stuff so that I can make a thousand dollars a week to then spend it going to dinners with players, meeting players, setting up marketing appearances. And, and very early on, you know, I realized that it was a treacherous business Um, and had some really bad shit happen to me with players, dishonest stuff and things like that, that that is always going to happen when money's involved, you know, at some really shady people, that were runners or recruiters or attached to players and were trying to convince, you know, the player to, to hire this guy or that guy or this girl or that girl. And um, in 1998, my mom introduces me to some financial guys and my computer restarted. That's why there's more light on this. Mug. And they end up saying to me, Hey, we'll fund you. We'll give you some money. We'll help you run your agency. And we want to be your partners. In turn, we want to do the financial management for them. You already have total entertainer, so part of the total will be money management. And they were licensed. They were legitimate guys at a real insurance and investment company. And so they were my partners. Then in 98, I started to have some success. I signed some kids from the University of Florida, um, and I go to the NFL Combine, and they meet another agent who will remain nameless because he's one of the worst human beings in the history of the planet. And they basically tell me without me getting to decide he's my new partner he's my business partner so uh i i teach him how to dress i actually fly to dallas texas where he lived and took him to the gallery mall he was in shock at how much a pair of dress shoes cost because all he knew how to wear was white new balance sneakers with 20 year old jeans and i get him a real haircut i talked about like the glasses that he wore how he he was all disheveled and, and really poorly dressed and out of shape and things and I talked to his wife and his kids about like changing his image because we're trying to become the biggest agency in sports, not sure. just in football. So eventually I think he had 14 guys in the NFL and I had three guys in the NFL in 98. In 99, uh, I think I had a second round pick and a sixth round, uh, no second round pick, a third round pick and a seventh round pick. And then I started flying all over the country meeting his 14 guys. And my pitch was, I want to meet you, but I really want to meet your teammates. Because I really want to show them what we're doing 
is unique, is aggressive, is passionate, and we actually give a shit about our clients. Yeah. So we went from 17 guys in 98, 99 to 76 guys in 2001. Man. And in March of 2001, I put my key in the door of, of our Florida office and it actually snapped off. <laughs> and in the span of about 10 days when I was traveling back and forth to LA, I'd been to Hawaii for the Pro Bowl. I'd been to Vegas for the ESPYs. Um, back to back to back because back then the ESPYs used to be in Vegas and they were coincided with the week after the Super Bowl and the Pro Bowl. Um, they stole all of my clients. I got fired by 74 guys and millions and millions. I mean, I don't even know how much money uh, the money was. So 2001 was a really ugly year. Uh, end of 2001 going into 2002, the NFLPA got involved. Uh, some players kept me as an agent slash friend slash client. Stephen Davis, the running back for the Redskins, who we had done a $100 million deal for. Mike Anderson was the rookie of the year in 2000. Uh, we got an extension in 2001, but there was tons of marketing that I was doing for him. So those two guys kind of kept me alive. Like really, like, like a $5,000 autograph signed for Mike Anderson that I was going to get a $1,000 commission off of. That kept me breathing. Because in March, not only did they steal all the money that was in the company and take it, that the three partners screwed me over, but I didn't get a paycheck. I didn't get any commission off of all the work that I'd done. The one thing your listeners should know and, and understand is just because you sign a guy doesn't mean you get paid by the guy. Just because you negotiate a contract doesn't mean you get paid by the guy. You got to build a player. He only gets paid in increments, signing bonus maybe. And then the next time he'll see money, like let's say a deal you do in March, you might not see your first check from that guy until July. Right. Mm -hmm. So cash flow is a huge component of this business, massive component of this business. So for me, I had no cash flow. I had no revenues. I had no income. So Stephen Davis and Mike Anderson's marketing deals really kept me alive. And then at the end of 2002, this individual was in essence banned for life from the agency industry. He's still, he's back in the business somehow. Um, and a lot of my, and a lot of the veteran guys were like, holy shit, maybe it was David that was the genius. Maybe it was David that was the work. Maybe it was David that was the talent. And so my phone would ring. I was able to get Stephen Davis as a full-fledged client now, away from that person, uh, a couple other players. And in 2003, I did Stephen's big deal with the, with the Panthers because he had gotten cut by the Redskins. I did Todd Sauerbrunn's, the biggest punter deal in NFL history at the time. And nobody had ever seen a punter make two plus million a year. And it's still a pretty big number for punters. Yeah, um, and say. so very quickly, guys were getting the word that I was the guy, I was the juice, and I was the talent. Um, and 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 that's it's been since 2003 or now that DEC management has kind of stayed in its same incarnation. Uh, I've added some cool things to it, so we have a, a full-time analytics department. Okay, so. Maybe one of the only agencies that does what we do. Uh, our analytics are our analytics are so good that we've been asked to sell it to NFL teams. So the database that Brian McIntyre has created is all self-driven database. So literally today, a transaction report at four o'clock comes out. That all gets hand input into a database, which will have everything from the guy's pro day times to who his agent was, to who his agent is, date of birth, height, weights. And then every football component you can imagine 
down to the percentage of snaps he takes in goal line formation. You know, it, it's and it's been tremendously beneficial. Brian's with me, been with me for ten years now, um, and and p- directly related to Brian is you know the huge Eric Weddle deal in two thousand and eleven with the with the with the Chargers to make him the highest paid and first ever eight million dollar safety. All the stuff that we did for Paul Soliai. Obviously, the Olivier Vernon, you know, defensive end deal that reset the defense men market and then resetting it again with DeMarcus a couple years ago. Um, and that's the cool thing about football is the players get younger and younger and the deals will get bigger and bigger, right? right. You do a deal today, it's very likely it's going to get beat tomorrow or the next day. And then uh, about four years ago, or maybe five years ago, this little pissant 16-year-old kid comes up to me and Brian we're at the NFL combine and he goes, are you David Canner? And I'm like, no one knows who the hell I am. Right. I'm like, what are you talking about? And I like look around and I'm like, someone has told him to say this to me. This isn't fake humility. This is real humility to like play a trick on me. And then they're like, yeah, you think somebody knows you? He's like, no, no, no. I'm a huge Dolphins fan. I follow you on Twitter. You represent Sean Smith. You have Paul Solon. You have Derek Shelby. He knows my whole client. I'm like, holy shit. Who are you kid? And he's like this, like I am. And he's like, oh, I'm 16 years old. My name's Ness Mugrabi. I want to be a sports agent. I want to be just like you and Drew Rosenhaus. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. You got to pick one or the other because we're very, very different. Our business models are completely the opposite. Um, and I think our personalities are probably completely the opposite. And he goes, and he goes, no, no, no. Like, I studied everything about you. Like, how can I be an intern? I'm like, look, I don't have an intern program. I'm like, but you follow me on Twitter. Hit me up. DMs have now become a part of my life, right? That's an anarchy success. And I'm like, why don't you, we'll talk, we'll touch base. And he's been with me now five, six years. And I mean, he's my right-hand man. Like he's involved in every part of our business. He just turned 22. He's getting his graduate degree. He'll be a certified agent next year. He'll go on rep agreements. And to be frankly honest with you, there's that age thing, right? Where some of the 23 and 24-year-old guys like him better than they like me. Sure, they're and, and it's allowed me to kind of transition my relationships with guys to where I can be more fun and less business. Whereas when you're, when you're building and you're building, it's really hard to just be a goofball all the time. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a pretty serious goofball. And so with Ness involved and, you know, he'll take care of a car rental or he'll get a guy's mom and dad a ticket to a game. I don't even have to know, right? Like it's just autopilot for him because he crushes it, because he's 22. And the same with Brian on the analytics side. If I say, hey, we have a meeting with player X tomorrow at 11 a.m. at 9 o'clock that night before, even if it took him seven hours of straight work, there's an analytics package that's better than anything you'll ever see anywhere else. And it's resulted in, you know, guys like Jamie Collins, who I don't know if a lot of people know who he is, but Jamie Collins puts up on Twitter in March this year, Need an agent. I think that was his actual tweet. I went apeshit. I'm like, whoa, 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 Jamie Collins needs an agent five days before free agency or seven days before agency? I mean, I text messaged 150 people. I called every person I know. Get me on the phone with this guy. All I need is one hour and I'll blow him away. Sure enough, he was friends with another client of ours who's, who's part of our company too, named Brandon Spikes. Yes. Yeah. Longtime linebacker. Oh, yeah. Florida Gators Hall of Famer. Awesome. And Spikes is like, yeah, that's my boy. What's up? And I'm like, dude, I can get this guy paid. Like, 
I know other agencies can get them paid. I'm like, but we can get them really paid. He's like, well, how much? I'm like, well, you know, let me talk to him. He's like, well, he's sitting right here next to me. And I'm like, what? I'll never forget as long as I live. Well, not only that, it was only March. And I'm like, what do you mean he's sitting right there next to you? He's like, yo, we're at my house in Charlotte chilling together. He's like my best friend. I'm like, huh? I'm like, wait, you don't tell me this shit? Like, <laughs> right. He's like, man, I don't, you know, I'm not going to get involved with a man's business. Like, you know, and, and I respect that, right? So he gets me on the phone with Jamie. We talk for three minutes. Not the greatest conversation in the world. And he's like, look, I'm going to get back to my wife and my kids, my family in Florida tomorrow, and I'll, I'll call you and let me know what you want to do. So Brian and I put together the package. Brian does all the work. I do the talking. And Brian likes it that way. And so I get Jamie on a FaceTime. He's never seen me. I can't fly to Pensacola because it's a week before free agency. Right. And there's a true story. It's still insane. And I say, hey, while we're on the phone, open up the text I just sent you. So he opens up the analytics package as I'm looking at him. And he turns, and I'm like, no, turn it sideways because it's a PDF. So he starts swiping through the PDF and he's like, what the fuck is this? I'm like, no, no, go to the back and look at this. And I'm like, click on that. That'll open up you playing football, right? He, he looks at me in the camera and goes, man, who the fuck are you? And I'm, like, I'm, like, I'm like, so are you hiring me? And he goes, fuck yeah, man, I send the papers right now. And I was like, yes! I was like screaming. I was sitting right here, by the way, in the same chair. Uh, actually, no, I got rid of my old office chair because that was uncomfortable, but this same spot. Um, and so I'm like, listen, I don't know if you're upset about this. Like, I don't think I'm going to be able to meet you before free agency starts. And he goes, man, just get me paid. I don't give a shit about me. Like, I don't need friends. I'm 31 years old. I got kids and family. <laughs> my wife so, is so this is this March, free agency starts. We get him, a, you know, three years, 30 million with 20 fully guaranteed. He had played for 2 million with the, with the Patriots last year. And uh, you know he's having a he's having a good season. He had bad, he had one mediocre game. He got ejected from the first game of the season on a ridiculous call by the ref. And I think that that's that was kind of the eureka moment for me as an agent, where I'm like, wow, we really are at a level that I always wanted us to get to, where a player doesn't even really need to meet me. He can just see the work that we do. He can look at the deals that we do. And I think that the business gets misjudged because the mega agencies are, there's 12 or 14 agents. And each one of those guys has 15 or 20 clients. You know, Drew has almost 100 clients, or maybe even more. So, and he has five or six agents that work with him. But for us right now, we've only got one or two other agents that work with us part-time. Drew Smith came over from goal line this past year. We have one client together. Uh, he has a client as well with another agent that he used to be partners with. Um, and then we'll see how that transition happens. Josh Stevens has been with me for a couple of years and we've had some kind of hits and misses and bumps in the road. Um, and part of it is, is we're not going to do things just to convince a guy to hire us. We're going to do what's right for the player. We're going to guide them properly. We're going to always be honest. Like, I think that's the biggest thing I could say in football because it's such a violent sport and the time frame of your career, if you will, is so condensed and limited. Mm -hmm. You have to be brutally honest with guys. Absolutely. Because not everybody else is, right? 
coaches want to get the most out of them. So they're kind of bullshitting them a little bit, or they're trying to angle what, you know, Hey man, you're not the starter yet, but we need you on special teams. But a year from now, you're going to be my guy, you know, Oh, you're on the practice squad. But if you keep putting in that work, we're going to activate you, you know, things like that. And so I, I try to be really 100 with my guys at all times. And I think, I think it's working. You, you know, football, this is, but you say, oh yeah, but let me tell you something. This is a, a year to year business. In fact, to be honest with you, it's a day to day business because guys can get hurt in practice on a Wednesday, full pad of practice. Sure. Guys can get elevated on the practice squad on Saturday, play like shit on Sunday and get cut on Monday. You know, we had two veteran guys, Joe Webb and JJ Wilcox get released yesterday at JJ Wilcox by the Falcons. And it, it eats me alive. You know, it kills me because they, it's not that they did anything wrong. It's just, oh, we need a couple extra offensive linemen, and, and you're the guy. You're expendable. And so that's always the hardest part of the business. I, th I think having Brandon Spikes involved in the post-career component of what guys do when they can jump into another life after football has been huge. We, I mean, we signed a guy last year, DJ Alexander. I don't know if you remember him. Mm -hmm. Good special teams linebacker. Been around a couple times. Had some injury stuff. And, and I don't know DJ very, very well. I mean, he hired me last year. And then this year, he, he said, look, man, I have a post-career plan. COVID's made me think about it. I've been home a lot. I've been building my wife and my kids. And I don't want to go back to playing football again. And I was like, hey, we love it. Let us know how we can support you. Let us know if we can help you with resumes. Let us know if we can help you with internships. Let us, you know, that's what Brandon does. And so I think that being able to keep that connection and that bond um, will help us continue to grow the business. I always feel like we could have a hundred players in the NFL. I think we have like 35 or 40, which is fantastic. But I, I do feel like we could go much bigger, but the, the dream of having 16 other sports and actresses and act that that's gone. I'm not, I'm not, I'd love to represent soccer players because that's my passion sport. And if we want to start a baseball division, awesome. Love it. NBA seems like it's just too oversaturated and competitive. Uh, love hockey in the playoffs, but don't know about enough developing and stuff. So that would be like secondary parts of DC management that I would have to let someone else come in and run. And I would just kind of use what we've done to oversee it, so to speak. Right. But it's not, unless we get an investor or some billionaire walks in the door, you know, to help us run it and fund it, it's probably not realistic. But I'm 47. I feel like I've never worked a day in my life, Jason. Um, I feel like there's a lot of really good people who play pro football who need a good person representing them. Our number one criteria for an athlete is are they a good person? I don't care if they're the first overall pick or the last overall pick. If the first overall pick's a piece of shit, I'd rather have the other guy. Because it's not – you can't – yeah, I can pay my bills. Yeah, I can make a lot of money. But then what's the quality of life? If I have to sleep with my cell phone on every night, you know, worrying, oh, my God, this guy's going to get a DUI. Uh-oh, hold on. The other kid wants to come in. You want to be on TV, <laughs> Axel? Come be on TV, Axel. What's up, Axel? This is Axel, the five-year-old. And the dog's in here, too. Look, this what's is up, him. Bro? Yeah, he's jumping right in. And Messi's here, the dog. Um, Messi. Should they have Robux? I have enough. From this, and I'm won't sure. Take your money. I'm sure that it won't the, take your money. Wait, hold on. I'm sure that the fact that I just <coughs> walked over an hour and a half, 
and you come in talking about Roblox is exactly what no, these listeners want to hear. Look at this. <laughs> Right? We're trying to film a TV show here, guys. This is the good Daddy stuff. This is, what, this is what matters. This is what matters, by the Daddy, way. Take your mommy. Even the dog, by the way, just, you know, he's sitting on my lap. My son's right there, and the dog is, you can't really see her because he's black. She won't leave me alone because she wants me to pet her. Oh, Daddy, You see her? There she is. I can see her. All right, buddy. I'll, I'll be out there soon, okay? Go out there. Yeah, in a minute. Not right this second. Don't take her out. Alright, guys. Good to see you. Good to see you, Austin. Say goodbye. Say goodbye. Bye. See you guys. Maybe I'll talk to your mom about it. It doesn't change your mind. That that is that's day to day. There's a third kid who's 12, but he just hides in his room because we built him. We he has like a microphone that you have. Yeah. He's a Twitch guy. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, he's Fortnite 24-7 with his phone and Fortnite. I, I will say this. Um, for those of you, like, that are going out and experiencing the real world, we, we haven't done that for seven months, man. We've been locked in the house. Uh-oh, hold on. Here he is. What's up, dude? What's up, dude? I'm going to buy it right now. All right, go. Please. Can I buy it? No, not right now. If you interrupt me one more time, you won't get it at all. There you go. That's David Cantor, parent Actually, the year right there. Hold on a second. I love it. <laughs> I should have locked you off the story now. It's fun, man. I like it. I love it. It's that's one of the main. But that's my real world. Like, like that's the thing I say to people. Like, this is my life. But that's my life. Like, being an agent's my life, and it's what I love, and it's my passion. But it's for Asher, Austin, and Axel, and my wife Perry. But you know, without them, none of it makes makes anything worthwhile. Right. But with COVID, they're not going to school. They're home. They're in our faces 24-7, 365. You know, there's no <laughs> athletics. I mean, I don't know if you know Florida, but, you know, we're just as dumb as Georgia. You know, people are acting like it doesn't exist <laughs> yeah. because our leaders suck. But the reality is it does exist, and people are dying every day. Mm-hmm. And hopefully everybody's taking and wearing a mask and everybody's being cautious. But it, it's pretty hard. It, it, the worst thing is you can't travel. You can't see your players. Yeah, I can imagine that's pretty tough. I was going to ask you, how do you – I mean, you just do FaceTimes with them, I'm sure, just kind of uh, like what we're doing here. I am – I don't want to say I'm dying because that's a terrible way to say it, but it is It is a brutal – for someone like me who is 250 days a year on the road, traveling, in and out of hotels, seeing veteran guys that are unhappy with their agent that maybe want to hire me, um, meeting with my existing clients, seeing teams and general managers. You know, two weeks ago, Seahawks were here, right? Yeah. I have two starters on the Seahawks, Cody Barton, the linebacker, and Benson Mayowa, the defense man. And John Scheider is someone who I consider a friend, the general manager of the team. Like Very cool. an actual personal friend. Like I, I would lay down on the railroad tracks for John Schneider. Yes, he's the general manager of the team but he's someone I care about deeply, love his family, love him, and couldn't even see him. Couldn't go to the hotel, couldn't have a drink with him, couldn't be around him. They're quarantined, locked in the hotel all day Saturday. Sunday, I go to the game. It's against the Dolphins. We have Kayvon Frazier on the Dolphins as well. Can't see the players after the game. I actually posted a picture on my Twitter of how I was able to see Cody Barton. He was about 20 feet away. In a chain behind a chain link fence, you know, with his mask on his neck, sweating because it's 90 degrees after the game. He just played a football game, mm. and uh, it, it broke me, man. It was, I mean, I was, 
to say I was unhappy and pissed is an understatement because if you want to go see your guy, you got to go fly. Okay. Right. But then they can't, they can't be around you. Cause if you get them COVID, if you expose them, they get major fines. You're talking about, you know, double digit, 25, $50,000 fines. Right. Right. Man. That's, and see, that's, that's one thing, David, that I, I really wanted to, one thing I've, I've noticed in when I was reading about your company and you, and getting to talk to you here is one thing I, I really, really enjoy is because I can tell that you really do have love for your, for your clients. And that's like, I was going to say earlier, like whenever, whenever you're saying, you know, you know, you're saying, yeah, yeah, you get it. But what I'm, what I mean is what I was meaning to say was real recognizes real. And these, I appreciate that. that. And they, you know, they, they come to you and they, and they, they, they trust you. I mean, just talking to you, I mean, hell, if I was a player, I would love to hire you, man. If I ever well, get to the point to where tell I Tell can... everybody, there's 2,000 guys in the NFL. Come on, we can add another, what's that, 1,960 guys. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, man, I just, and I love what you said about the person, the person behind the jersey and not just, you know, not just as a player. You, you want to represent people who are good people. That's huge because anybody can try and represent some asshole who's just going to, basically you know like you were saying you're gonna have you have to have your cell phone next to you and anytime you get a text or a phone call you're wondering if this guy can you know was in jail or you know got busted with some blow and some hookers or something like that but you know the the fact that you say these things and, and you represent some great people like i've seen these videos on eric weddle with his family and they have the ice cream nights and stuff i, I think that's fantastic i've been a huge weddle fan for a very long time a lot it's it seems like it. a lot of it comes from me seeing those videos of him with his family like seeing your kids come in with the dog and stuff man that's awesome that 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 makes you more human to anybody seeing it and it shows that you're a great dad you're a great guy you're a great agent i mean it's it's just it's just that's a lot of great dude let's not put me in the, you know let's not make me a saint to use well, your I was gonna say, man, you got a pool go walk on the water let's see it you should ask some nfl teams about me if they think i'm a great guy Oh man, I'm sure you've got that switch that you got to turn on and be, you know, you got to be Jekyll or who is it? Jekyll and Hyde. You got to be. Uh, I uh, Jekyll. And that's Hyde. my favorite part of what I do. Is this is going to sound weird, but sometimes a lot of people will say, "Wow, you're an asshole," or or my favorite is, "Man, you're such a dick," and I'm like, "Yeah," but I'm the dick that's willing to lay down on the railroad tracks for you. I'm your dick. You know, I'm an asshole for you. I'm not an asshole because I want to be. I'm an asshole because I have to be, right? right? And so, you know, I, I think that the players that understand this business understand the value of having someone in the, in the building or in the room that is an ambassador for them. Someone that is willing to say stuff to the powers that be that most players aren't. You know, one, the, one thing that's a new trend in the industries, a lot of guys are, are going without an agent and doing their own deals or, you know, hiring an expert, a lawyer or whatever. And there's been some amazing deals. You know, DeAndre Hopkins got a new deal. Bobby Wagner got a great new deal. Uh, Laramie Tunsil got a great new deal. They did that on their, on their own? Ah, that's up for debate. No, I mean, from what I heard, there was someone else involved, but they did not have an agent per se. They're not paying one or two or 3% to a guy to just do their deal. And so what I say to the players that are thinking about foregoing an agent is one, those three guys are at the tippy top of their game and they're number one of one. 
Like, there's no argument that when Bobby Wagner did his deal two years ago, he was the best linebacker in football. Sure. Um, Laramie Tunsil was top two or three left tackles in football. Um, and the team traded away multiple first-round picks, so, so he already was at a leverage point. DeAndre Hopkins, arguably number one wide receiver in football. I mean, you're a fantasy guy, but he's up there, right? And so I say, yeah, it's easy to say you're going to want to do that. But if you're the fourth guard on the Colts, you probably can't go without an agent. Right. You know, you probably can't go without an agent if you're a really elite player too because we know things that you don't know. Or more importantly, are you comfortable sitting in the room with the general manager of your team, having him tell you why he doesn't want to pay you more than X player X or player Y? Can you handle that emotionally? Mm -hmm. You know, one of the good things that we do, and I think I did a good job with it with DeMarcus, is keep the negativity and the emotion out of it, right? Because they're talking about you, man. Right. What, well, you don't think I'm as good as so-and-so? Like, fuck, man, I am. I'm better than that motherfucker. And players will say that all the time. Yeah. But if you say that to the GM, the GM goes, well, wait, last year you had 46 tackles and he had 63 tackles. Last year you had 12 sacks, he had 18 sacks. You know, all that bullshit that goes in it. And when you're doing a negotiation, a lot of it is how does the team view the player? How do they want to pay the player? What can they do financially with all the other things that they have to put in the puzzle? And then how does the player look to the rest of the league? One of the reasons why you don't see a lot of players getting contract extensions in the final year of their deal is general managers are just as nervous as agents are. I'm not nervous at all, but a lot of agents are. You'll see scared deals going into free agency that agents look at the marketplace and you have to be honest with your guy. You have to be realistic with your guy. You have to tell him the truth. And so what a lot of times happens is you see all these funny, these funny money bullshit deals where the player will never get to it. You're, you know, the saints behind your helmet, Alvin Kamara wanted Christian McCaffrey money, right? Mm-hmm. You remember that? His right. Deal three weeks ago. Yeah. Not long ago. In order to make his deal look good. Do you know what is in his sixth year of his contract? $25 million salary. Okay. So what that did is it took took his average per year up by two and a half million or two million. That's bullshit. There's never going to be a day ever, ever that he's getting that contract. But what happens is the agency is so desperate to look good, so desperate for a win that they're willing to basically jeopardize the player's career, the player's, the player's standing with the organization. Because at the end of the day, the Saints don't have an option there. You're either going to take a $20 million pay cut because you're going to be 31 or 32 and you're going to be past your prime, mm-hmm. or you're going to get released, right? Right. Whereas opposed to saying, hey, what the fuck is an average per year? Average per year means nothing if the cash is what matters in our sport. Right, if you don't get it. Up front, fully guaranteed motherfucking dollars. That's all that matters. You can use that as a headline for this YouTube. You got it. Up front, (laughs) fully guaranteed. Put as much cash as you can in my pocket. Because as we've now learned with the Minnesota Vikings today, as we've now learned with the New York Jets the last year, 
Just because you paid Le'Veon Bell $70 million or $100 million, he could be traded like that. He could be cut like that. He could be out of football like that. Right. It's a lot harder when you got 50 or $100 million of their money in your pocket. Right. So that's why hopefully guys hire me. Because what I say to players, and I say this to you, is you're not hiring me because you want to love me. You're not hiring me because you want to come to my house and hang out with me and my wife and my kids. You're welcome to do that. You see all the names on the wall. I'll turn the camera. Awesome. You know, all, those are all my clients that have signed the wall that come here to my house and come a part of my family. That's the genius of my wife. But, but that's not why you're hiring me. You're hiring me because this window is closing. The minute you sign or get drafted in the NFL, the GM is already out scouting next year. The number one thing about the NFL that everybody loves, the draft. Right. What's the draft about? The draft is about taking Cody Martin's job. Taking, it, it, the draft is about Bobby Wagner getting a contract extension, the team drafting Cody Barton in the third round, and then the next year the team trading up to draft Jordan Brooks in the first round. Guess what? Sooner or later, Bobby Wagner is going to be persona non grata. Every year they're replacing players. Fuck, Ryan Fitzpatrick is 3-3. Three and three. The Miami Dolphins are clicking. The offense looks great. They just shut out the New York football Jets at home against their former head coach, and in the bye week, the head coach calls him. I don't know if you saw the interview. He goes, man, I thought Flo was calling me to go over the game plan. He wasn't calling me to go over the game plan. He's telling me, you're benched. Dude, we're in second place with the Bills having just lost at 4-2. and two. We can win the division, but they're going to go give it to the rookie. That's football. That's football. And so you need an agent that lives it, eats it, sleeps it, breathes it, and also tells you the truth because your window to get paid is so small. There, there's a client that I represent that I'm not going to name him, but he turned out a deal this year going into the free agent window. And I nearly lost my mind because I knew he was wrong. I wanted to let him see what the marketplace was, but I felt like he was being, he wasn't, he doesn't understand what I have to understand. I have to see the league from 32 teams. Sure. He sees it from his position and his perspective of what he did. And so when you hire an agent, it's very difficult because you get a big color glossy brochure and you see Peyton Manning and Eli Manning throwing the football and you're like, well, they did it for them. Well, fuck yeah. Those are the best players ever, right? You're going to be the, you're going to be a fifth round pick from Texas tech, dude. You ain't going to be treated like that. And so hopefully our fifth round pick from Texas tech and our first round pick from LSU and our undrafted free agent from Duke all feel like we give them everything we have and in exchange tell their teammates about us because that's the only way I can survive. I can't compete with the mega agencies and cutting my fee. I don't cut my fee, by the way. Um, I can't compete with marketing guarantees. I can't compete with, you know, dropping our fees in the way we do things. What we say to players is if you want to go buy a nice shirt, there are a lot of people in America, and this is not a knock on them, that even though they can afford a nice shirt, they're comfortable going to Costco or Walmart and buying that shirt. Sure. There are other people that have the same socioeconomic status that they want a nice shirt too, but they want to go to a custom tailor and have it custom made. We're the custom tailor of sports agencies. We're individually tailored to every single guy. There's no blanket relationship. We're not cookie cuttering shit to guys. We're dealing with them one-on-one -on -one with their friends, their family, their moms, their dads. And hopefully that's what keeps us at the top of the game. Right. I'll knock, I'll knock on wood and drink some water.
<laughs> you make it a perfect fit for every every individual. I got you. I got That's you. That's the plan. By the way, you still represent some dicks from time to time that don't want that. I can imagine. They don't, they don't want the relationship. They don't want to text you. No, they're probably just they're just looking for the check. They just want the money. But I, that's one thing I like about you, man. Is like I can tell you definitely have a passion for it, and, and each individual person that you represent, I can I can tell that you actually feel the love for each one. It's 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 awesome to see. Um, so let me ask they're you, my guys, man. I love them to death. I love I them. Uh, I know you've got a lot going on. Let me ask you a real quick question. Um, so you've had so many record breaking deals that you negotiated. Uh, do you need have, more? Need more. <laughs> Do you have any that that are your favorite? Anything that stands out the most to you? Like, if you had to, if you if 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 you had to tell me the 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 one that you love the most, is there, yeah. is there one specific? Man, there's a few. Uh, so people, so so Paul Soliai. A lot of people don't know who that is. Paul Soliai was the biggest fuck up in Dolphins history. <laughs> he was out of shape. He was overweight. He was the most fine guy when Jeff Ireland was the GM. And fortunately, a Utah player named Sean Smith got drafted in the second round by the Dolphins his, his rookie year. I was not Paul's agent. Okay. The whole rookie season in the NFL, Sean's on the Dolphins. He was always kind of like one of the last dudes to come out of the locker room. Mm -hmm. And in the old days, you could basically kind of be right where the parking lot was. Mm -hmm. And so Drew Rosenhaus and his, his crew uh, back then was Mike and Jason Katz, their agents now, but they were related to him and they worked for him. They would sit right in the parking lot and meet guys and shake hands and guys see your face enough. If they're going to fire their agent, they're going to, you know, maybe call you. And they were incredible uh, at getting a lot of veteran players on the Miami Dolphins to fire their agents and hire them. And one day Paul walks out and Paul's wife walks out and goes, we need to talk to you. I was like, okay. I, I, I tried to recruit him in college, but he had gotten thrown out of Utah for a fight at the bowl game. So he didn't play in the bowl game, and that's when I flew to Texas to sign Weddle, um, and he actually didn't hire me at the game. He told me he was hiring me, but he didn't sign papers until a week later. And so I end up getting Paul as a client. I basically read him the riot act. Man, I, Jason, I ripped into this dude. I'm like, bro, we're sitting here having this meeting and you've cracked 10 beers. Like, like, what are you doing? Like, do you want to be great? Like, you were a fourth-round pick. I talked to Jeff Ireland and he tells me you've been fine. He tells me you're late. He tells me you don't work out. He's like, tells me you don't, you don't want it. You don't want it. I was like, but well, one of the weirdest things about the NFL is because you're in the building so much, if you just show up and clock in early and clock out late, even if you're not really doing a lot, they think you are, right? And so here, look, here we go. Let's put Kamale Correa on the show. Hi, Kamale Correa. Can you join in? We're doing a live podcast right now. <laughs> What's happening? There he is. He's out. Oh, and my mom's calling at the same time. Casey, what's up, buddy? I'm on. We're gonna get you on this podcast, with my guy Jason, right there. What's up, Fana? <laughs> he, he. All right, I'll call you later. You all right? Yeah, I'm good. Are you wearing matching hat and sweatshirt? No, I, I want to retire. All right, but man, you hear, that's live local late breaking right there. <laughs> Don't say it on public. He, you already said. 
Yeah, I heard. I want to retire there. To retire. In that hotel room? Because we're not going to talk about where you are right now. <laughs> I like that lid, though, bro. That's a dope hat. Does your wait? Does your sweatshirt say cookies? Can I see your hoodie real quick? Don't show me your logo of your team. I know where the fuck you play. I got you traded there. <laughs> this dude, he's doing gang signs and stuff. He's doing peace symbols. All right. What does your hoodie say? Cookies. Where did you get this hoodie? It's the greatest hoodie ever. He's wearing a hoodie that just says cookies. Hey man, let him know. Let him know I can uh, put some customs to a uh, pair of shoes to match that hoodie for him if you ever want. He wants to make you custom sh custom shoes. Won't charge him a dime. Just tell me the size. Just get on the get on the podcast. <laughs> oh, he likes thirteen Under Armors. All right, goodbye. We're not giving free plugs here. I'll call you back. <laughs> <laughs> He's doing his symbols. I got my mom calling me. It's bananas. <laughs> it's seven, it's it's I've been on the show for five hours, by the way. I don't know what the fuck's hey, going it's, on. Hey, it's great, man. We got good editors. <laughs> um, I want to put it all on, man, if I can. <laughs> this is a wild show, dude. I didn't shut the great. fuck up. No, no, man. This is fantastic. You've basically answered any of my questions and <laughs> the whole time you've been telling me everything. It's great. I'm just letting you go. It's, you're on a roll. Yeah, I usually don't shut up on these things. I did, I did uh, Jane Slater's podcast with Bobby Belt. Okay, yeah. Great. Love both of them. Bobby's one of my – I mean, not that Jane isn't, but Bobby's one of my favorite guys. Sure. And, I mean, I, I went off, dude. It was like right before Dak didn't do his deal. So, mm -hmm. like, they were in the middle of the franchise tag negotiations, and I think the number was like 35 or 36. And they were like, so, Dave – you know, and I'm like, look, I don't want to talk about a player that's not mine. He's not my – like, I should never have done that about Kamara. That's bad form. But anyway. It's not um, just you're explaining that you're explaining logistics and things. Yeah, I mean, I'm just trying to get that. People understand the way it works. And yeah. so the question was put to me by Bobby. I think he's like, you know, would you do Dak Steele? And I was like, absolutely not. I was like, zero chance in any way, shape, or form would I let Dak do a deal for 35 or 36. I was like, I won't. And then, of course, you know, two weeks later, Deshaun Watson comes out at whatever, 38 or 39. Mm -hmm. And so, and, you know, to me, Dak's a better player, um, I agree. at least for that organization. You know, the Texans have lost a lot of talent and, and obviously now fired Bill and what have you. But anyway, going back to because Kamala completely threw me off. I did not expect to get a FaceTime. <laughs> that, was cool. that was not set up at all, by the way. So <laughs> I can tell he was not wanting to be – he wasn't feeling it. <laughs> a, a week ago, literally, just to give you an idea of how crazy this business is, a week ago he was on the Tennessee Titans. He had COVID. He did not play in the game that they moved to Tuesday night. Right. On Wednesday, he was unhappy for a while uh, because they signed Jadavion and Vic Beasley, who you know in Atlanta. Right. So they already have a dynamic player in Harold Landry. Now you're adding Vic Beasley, who, who's been a dynamic guy, although, you know, he's kind of roller coaster. And then you've got Jadavion, who people, for some reason, you know, he, he's, he's a deity in this business. Right. Um, although the productivity probably hasn't been there as much. And so Kamale basically calls me. He's like, yeah, I want to get out of here. I'm like, dude, you, you know, it's not easy. Like, you know, you're making $3 million or whatever the number is, you know. And so John Robinson and I have a good relationship. Kamale spent some time talking to John, which I told any player that ever wants a trade, you've got to work with these people every day. I don't. I'm here. You've got to talk to Raves. You've got to talk to John. And, and on that Wednesday morning, John calls me. And he goes, hey, I'm going to cut him by the end of the day if I can't get him traded. And I was like, holy shit. I was like, well, can I leak it? 
And this is this is going to give you the dynamics of a trade. This is great. And he's like, he's like, yeah, you can leak it. And I was like, all right, I'm going to leak it right now. So I, I leaked it to, to Mike Garofolo and Tom Pelissero from NFL Network, yeah. specifically because I know that NFL Network is always on, even if they're repeating a show, they have right. a scroll. Whereas ESPN, if I gave it to Schefter or, or you know one of the other, Jeremy Fowler or Dan Graziano, who are all very quality people who I like very much, if I'd given it to all any of them, it might not be as big a story, right? Right. So right. I leak it, and now if this is literally Wednesday morning, just to give you an idea, I'm doing homeschool with my kids. My wife already hates me because I'm working, and and you know she's trapped with me 24/7. She'd probably like me to go on a trip or two, um, or a trip or ten. And I'm not helping with the kids because I'm a terrible father early in the morning because by the time you wake up, well, no, by the time I wake up, there's 46 different things I've got to do. Right. So that this is number one, other than, you know, a fucking algebra class, like no offense, my 12 year old's super smart. If he doesn't learn it by 930, he'll learn it by 330. Right. So I got to go to this. This is priority. This pays, this keeps the lights on. So make a long story longer. I start calling every GM in football, man. I mean, Last Wednesday was hellish, and I'm getting blanked. I'm getting blanked. And as that's happening, Kamala is telling me where he wants to go, right? And it's like, dude, come on. Like, yeah, of course. But sometimes you got to go to Ithaca. You got to freeze your balls off. Like, you know, sometimes you got to play in Buffalo. That's right. where the team is. That's where Aaron Rodgers is in Green Bay. It worked out pretty good for him, right? Right, right. So he's like, yeah, I want to, you know, like Arizona, the West Coast. He's from Hawaii. He lives in Boise, Idaho, where he played college football. You know, and his wife, and they're from San Diego. So, like, you know, West Coast, West Coast, West Coast. And I'm like, look, dude, nobody from the West Coast is interested. Like, the Chargers are not interested. The Rams haven't been interested. You know, back you were a free agent in March. It's only seven months later. Now they're going to be trading you. People are going to think you suck or you're an asshole or whatever. And he's not. He doesn't suck. And he's not an asshole. But he just wasn't playing. He just wanted to play football. And that's always hard, man. Like, that's a hard part of this thing, Jason, is I want all my guys to be the first overall pick. I want all my guys to be pro bowlers. I want all my guys to be the highest paid ever. It's just this is a tough business. Right. So at about – Two or two fifteen. Austin, my middle son, had an orthodontist appointment because uh, unfortunately he inherited my bad teeth. Um, I've got m- most of my teeth knocked out or broken or you know because of football and sports. But I chewed gum in my mouthpiece and have major cavities and uh. like an idiot. When I was a little kid. So anyway, so Austin has to go to the orthodontist, and my wife's like, "Look, fuck you. You she didn't say it like that because she doesn't talk to me like that." But she's basically like, "Screw you." you've been a shitty father all day because you've been on the phone. You're taking the orthodontist. And I'm like, well, I don't know. I, I, trade might happen. Okay, whatever. So the way the dentists work here in Florida is you have to let your kid go in and you sit in the parking lot on the phone. So Robinson, John Robinson and I are texting back and forth, talking back and forth, talking back and forth, talking back and forth. And he's like, I, I don't have anything solid. I'm like, would you take just a swap of picks? So now the Cardinals, Steve Kime and I are on the phone. Steve's a great buddy of mine. Oh, he's awesome. They had just put Chandler Jones on IR. So it's like, oh, well, hey, here's a guy that had eight sacks last year. He's free for a swap of six or seventh round picks. He'll, he would love to be in Arizona. Um, they had shown interest, and he's like, we have something else brewing, so I don't think it's going to get done. So as I'm on the phone with him, I'm texting John, 
telling him to call Steve and get a deal done. Mm-hmm. David Caldwell calls me, the GM, because I had left him 15 messages. And he starts talking. I still got to, I haven't even followed up with him and asked him. I still got to find out why he did what he did, but it's like 3.30. And yet the trade has to happen at 4, right? Now, the weird part about Kamala is because he had COVID, he doesn't have to wait the six days now that everyone else around the league does. So I'm telling teams, listen, even though it's Wednesday and you're already game plan, if you trade for him on a Wednesday and he's in your building tomorrow morning, which is still doable because it's only three in the afternoon, he can play on Sunday. Most of these guys you can't do that with, right? This is insane. Like you're going to get a guy this week wow. that can be ready to go. Mm-hmm. That's, what, that's what just happened with Steve McClendon on the Jets, right? Right. He played for the Dolphins on sun, against the Dolphins on Sunday mm-hmm. in order to get another COVID test in on, because they don't test in on game day. He needs six days. Right. He drove from Fort Lauderdale to Tampa so he could test that night. So then Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, he's on the field and practicing and playing. He'll play on Sunday. He, he still can't practice with the team right now, even though he's been traded. He's probably sitting in quarantine in a hotel, by the way, in Tampa, ordering room service and having to do workouts on his own. Right. But that's the new rule. Like, you've got to have people that can adjust and fly. So Caldwell calls me. He starts just talking about other shit. Like, I, didn't, I didn't even know what he was talking about. I don't remember. And while this is all going on, I'm like looking around the corner to see my kid's coming out of the dentist's office because he's in there by himself alone at eight years old. Now I get John Robinson texting me and I go, have you talked to David Caldwell? And he goes, yeah, I left him a voicemail, but I don't think they're going to do anything. So finally I said to David Caldwell, are you fucking calling me to trade for Kamala or not? And he goes, well, what's the story there? I don't think we're going to be able to do it. I don't know if Doug's on board. And I'm like, dude, come on. He's like, well, will he play Sam Backer? And I'm like, yes, of course. That's what he wants to play. He's like, well, we could put some packages in. He's like, but we have another guy on our team. He goes, I don't know. I would probably cut him. I go, dude, he just wants to play ball. So he hangs up the phone with me and he goes, let me go down and talk to Doug and get, they got to get Doug Marone on board with the trade because he's adding a guy to the roster. So I'm like, do you need me to call Doug? So now I'm like, I'm, I'm getting ready to call Doug and John Robinson calls me, and he goes, hey, I'm talking to Caldwell. I'm like, okay. So now it's 3.56, 3.52. Austin gets in my car, talk, crying, whatever, some kid stuff. Yeah. Uh, I think I was going to get him a lollipop or something bad that I'm not supposed to do. As I made it to <laughs> you left the dentist. <laughs> so now, now Robinson calls me. Caldwell calls me, and he goes to me, I'm doing it. We're trying to get it done in the next five minutes, but he has to be on a fucking plane by six o'clock. There's only one other flight from Nashville to Jacksonville. And I, I never realized it was that far. It's like an eight hour drive. Um, and I'm like, don't worry. If he gets traded to you, I'll have him packed. He'll be there. I promise he doesn't miss flights. He's responsible. He's a grown up. He's a father. You don't have to worry about any of that stuff. They, they don't know him, right? That's one thing people don't understand. Like, you know, all the players that you put on your team, but you don't know them. Right, right. Same thing with the GM. David Caldwell probably hasn't looked at Kamala Correa since he was a second-round pick out of Boise State, right? And, oh, by the way, he wasn't my client his first three years in the NFL. I got him after he fired his agent, and then I got him traded to the Titans. Now the Titans who traded for him are going to trade him again. That doesn't look so great in our sport, right? Sure. you got to know the player. Right. So to make a long story way longer than it should be, <laughs> Robinson calls me as Kamala is on the phone with me. 
So I'm like, hey, do you want to tell him yourself? And he goes, yeah, sure, because John's a good dude like that, great human being. So I conference in the merge of the phone calls, and I'm like, Kamale. And he's like, Kamale, as I told you earlier today, we were going to release you. We gave David permission, got it done. You're going to Jacksonville. So he's like, holy shit. Like, he's kind of freaking out, right, because there's a fear of the unknown. Sure. Like, he kind of, like, in his mind was thinking, I want to get cut. My mindset was, no, if you get cut, now you're going to go COVID protocols. Now you got to be on the street. Now your salary changes. You're not going to have the role that you want. If a team trades for you, they're going to play you, right? Right, yes. So I go, well, John, thanks so much. Appreciate everything. Love you. Go Titans. Hey, let me get David Caldwell on the phone. So now I conference in David Caldwell, and he goes, hey, are you ready to start this weekend? Now here's the thing. The whole – 10 hours since nine in the morning until four in the afternoon, however many hours that is. The whole time, Kamala was like, man, they're not going to make me a starter, man. Jacksonville's never going to trade for me and let me start. Jacksonville's never going to trade for me and let me start. Jack and I'm like, Kamala, if you can learn the defense, because obviously you don't know the defense, you're not going to play. Right. You will start on Sunday. I'm telling you that. Like, that's what David has told me, and I trust David. I've known the guy 20 years. And he's like – Ah, uh, well, you know, he's skeptical. Like every player should be skeptical, but he shouldn't be skeptical on me telling you shit. Sure. I'm your guy. So, of course, gets to Jacksonville. <laughs> Thursday, I'm, I haven't heard him that happy. I don't know if I've ever heard him that happy. And Sunday he started. And then today he just called you and told you he wants to retire there. So maybe he wants to retire tonight and you're breaking news on your show. Oh, yeah. That's awesome, man. You heard it here first. <laughs> That's fantastic. Just don't tell the Jaguars that, or they'll offer him a one-year minimum deal for the next five years, I don't knowing think that he doesn't want to go anywhere else. <laughs> I don't think anybody down there watches my show. <laughs> oh, I hope one day to get that big, you know? <laughs> oh, believe me. If they find out that we're talking about one of their guys, that brings <laughs> me to another great story. So going back to Paul Solii, I get him as a client. Mm-hmm. He's screwed up. I convince him to just show up early, leave late, show up early, leave late, and then I got to get off phone because I got to go watch football. Right. And uh, he gets the franchise tag, which is unheard of. This guy goes from, like, out of football to being the Dolphins franchise tag player. Right. At the time, they had a contract negotiator who's now at the league office named Dawn Aponte. And for, for whatever reason, and I still don't really understand it, Dawn and I, when we would value a player on our side, me and Brian and then eventually Eddie Ness, and the Dolphins side, we could never see eye to eye. We never saw eye to eye on Sean Smith. We never saw eye to eye on Derek Shelby. We never saw eye to eye on Paul Solei. We never saw eye to eye on Olivier Vernon. And for some reason, by the way, DEC management lip balm uh, and DEC management hat. You know, I like that hat, man. That has dope. Represent the brand, baby. Best lip balm ever. And I don't make the lip balm. I buy it from a company, but they private label it for me. Amazing. I'll send you some. Anyway, yeah, yes. Give me one of them hats. I like them hats. I'm on the air. Who is it? Give me five minutes, Axel. I'm coming out. <laughs> he wants me to buy his Roblox toy or whatever. Right, right. Go He's to mom. Limited time. Um, <laughs> so make a long story way longer. Paul gets franchised. Then he goes to free agency. We're at a little sub shop down the street, and we agree to terms with the Denver Broncos after the one year he plays out the franchise tag because the Dolphins and I banged heads and couldn't agree. On a one-year, on a five-year, $35 million deal with, I think, 13 or 14 or 15 guaranteed. 
way more money than, than he had ever expected, way more money than the Dolphins had offered. Right. We're at the sub shop as he, his wife, and I think one other person in his family are getting ready to go to the Fort Lauderdale airport to go to Denver to sign the contract. We've agreed the terms. And he looks me dead in the eye and he goes, I'm going back to Miami. I went, huh? What do, you, what do you mean? He goes, call the Dolphins right now. Tell them that in the next hour, I'm coming in the building to sign a contract. Now, understand, it's never happened in my career. I don't wish it on any agent ever. <laughs> um, to this day, telling the story, I'm getting physically upset. Like, I want to punch a fucking wall. So I, I sit him down. I'm like, no, 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 dude, dude, this is life-changing money. This is... This takes care of you. This takes care of your mother in Vegas. This takes care of your family in American Samoa. This is real deal, dude. You're going to go to Denver. You love being in the West Coast. You love to play at Utah. You love that weather and that environment. Now, I feel like with my boys in Miami, I have unfinished business. So now I have to eat shit. I have to call Donna Ponte. I have to get motherfucked by the Broncos for, for burning them on a deal. And... Dawn's basically like, all right, well, we're going to do a two-year deal. And I'm like, oh, my God. Already I was nauseous. He ends up going back to Miami on a two-year, $12 million deal. I don't even know if it was – it might have been 11 and a half. She really beat me up, which she should have because she had all the leverage in the world, and I would have done the same thing to her if it was reversed. Sure. So Paul goes back, and he plays, plays it out. Second year, he's a free agent, going to be again. And, again, we just cannot agree on a number. We can't even get close to a deal. And I realize now why, and back then I realized too, but it was they felt, and this is smart, if he didn't leave us then, he sure as hell isn't going to leave us now. Right. And I spent the whole year, almost every game, driving a wedge in between Paul and the Dolphins. Because I knew that to feed his wife and two children – that I had to do what was that something he didn't even know was in his best interest. So now free agency comes and we go, Brian and I go to the combine and nobody's meeting with us. Mm. And I'm like, Holy shit, dude, this guy's not as good as I thought he was. It wasn't that he wasn't as good as I thought it was. It's that nobody wanted to be the Broncos. Nobody wanted to put a number out there, agree to terms, think that he's their guy chalk him off the board. Now you don't need nose tackle or D tackle. And then three days later, be like, well, what do you mean? He didn't fly in. He didn't take the physical. He doesn't want to be here. So Nick Polk, who I have an incredible relationship with and love very much, and Thomas Dimitrov and Dan Quinn, who I love, 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 as much as I can love a coach and a GM. And obviously it didn't work out in Atlanta. And, you know, hopefully those guys will end up moving on and and having tremendous success because I couldn't believe in either of those two guys more. They meet with me at the combine and they're like, look, if, if we do a deal, is he going to leave? Is he going to come? So, I'm, so this is a funny story, and it, it goes back to – so I drink two or three of these a day. Uh-huh. It's 2014. My, little son, my middle son, Austin, is in my arms. I'm holding him. He's like three or four years old. And my, I'm on the phone with Nick Polk. It's the first day of the free agency window. And I don't know, can you see this on camera? My phone is on speakerphone on a jug of water, just like this. (laughs) I'm holding Austin in my hands. He's, he's three or three years old. I'm holding in my arm while I'm on the speakerphone with Nick Polk. And he looks down at the phone. He sees the red button 
by the way, we're at a crucial point where we're getting ready to, it's getting nasty. We're like, I think I was asking for two, for 16 or 18 million over the first two. They were at like 10 or 12 million over the first two. And like I said earlier, get it all, get it all now. Right, right. And I really wanted to beat the 35 over five, like in real money. Mm-hmm. And I think we'd agreed to a, a four-year deal. I think we'd agreed to some structure stuff. We were close on average per year and all this other crap. And Austin in my arms looks down at the phone as we're like getting nasty and hits and Man. hangs up on him. Hangs up on Nick Paul. <laughs> hangs up, hangs up a mid-sentence. <laughs> a mid-sentence. Hangs up on Nick Paul. And I'm like this. What the fuck? Austin, what the fuck? What the fuck? What? And I remember it like it was yesterday. I put Austin down. He starts crying because he knows I'm mad at him. Plus, I put him down. Nick Polk doesn't call me back. Oh, shit. I immediately call Nick, and I'm like, he's like, are we good? I'm like, of course we're good. I would never hang up you. I'm like, I'm, I'm going to hold the phone this time now. So now I go off speaker. I hold the phone. We get the deal done. I, I go to Paul's house because he lived here in South Florida down the street from me. And I, he's like, couldn't you call the Dolphins one more time? And you see what you just did on camera? Yeah. In front of his whole family. I said, Paul, I'm not calling Dolphins. They've had two and a half to three years to negotiate a real deal for you. I love you. I would love nothing more than you to be on the Dolphins for always and forever. I'd love to have 100 Dolphins clients. There's only 53 on the team. I go, but I got bad news for you, dude. This changes your life. You're 31 years old getting 14 million or 15 million fully guaranteed. You're going to go to a great defensive coach. You're going to, by the way, Mike Smith was the head coach back then. Oh, yeah. Uh, talk about wheels fall off. That year, they went to the London game, Detroit, they lost, and Mike got fired. Right. So, of course, we signed with the whole regime that really, you know, got blown out of the building. Um, and, you know, Dan comes in, and obviously Dan doesn't use that position. So, Paul only had two years there. Then he went to Carolina for one year, and then he retired from football. But I remember how emotionally tied I was to Paul, because you asked the question, what's one of your favorite deals? Well, it's not one deal. It's the it's getting him as a client. Then he gets franchised. Then he gets a deal and then leaves that deal and signs another deal that was garbage. Then he fights for two years through that deal, gets the deal in Atlanta, which is amazing. We fly to Atlanta. We have a big dinner. They put on the song and dance for him. You know, it's the first deal on the bottom line. Schefter and Rappaport announced come free agency. And it was a huge number that people didn't think he was either worth or was going to get. But But that is definitely one of those that for the – I say this to every kid I talk to that wants to be a sports agent. If you don't like roller coasters, if you don't like living on a rainbow that sometimes doesn't exist anymore, you better not be a sports agent. There is no this in my business. Right. I I can't remember the last time in 25 years I've had a this day. Even the off season. My wife and I were in Vienna, Austria. We had just gone to one of the most amazing nights of my life. She took me to a a concerto where the people wore the wigs like Mozart, like in the movies, like Amadeus. Right. We we went on a horse and buggy. We went to an amazing dinner. We had chocolate. We had, I drink, she doesn't drink. 
you know, I had fucking fuck tons of wine. I'm in Austria, man. I'm going to live my life, right? I'm having the best time ever, one of the most amazing places. I, I cut this pinky off to be in Vienna right now. I highly recommend you go and everyone listening go. And I had such a negative expectation of Austria because I'm Jewish. I figured Nazis, you know, they hate Jews. Meanwhile, I didn't realize that they fought to, to free the Jews. And right. Jews, anyway, what the fuck do I know? I'm not a historian. So, <laughs> so good. it's three in the morning. We're overspending our budget, way over budget. We're staying in the former kings of Austria's palace that they've converted to like a seven-star hotel. It's off the charts. Man. And it's 2 fucking 45 in the morning, and the hotel landline rings. First of all, huh? What the fuck the hotel landline? One of my clients got a DUI. So oh. now, up, now I'm up bailing him out of jail from Austria. I'm getting credit card people to post. You know, we have bail bondsmen and things like that. But it, it's a roller coaster, bro. It's an everyday live it, eat it, sleep it, breathe it, love your guys. All I can think about the last 20 minutes that I'm talking to you, by the way, is am I making Kamala wait too long and is he getting pissed off that I haven't FaceTimed him back? Like my mom, as much as I love my mom, mom is number two, Kamala will be number one. Right. I got you. And we got to go watch a terrible football game. Well, that being said, my man, I'll let you get to Kamala. I know that's that's a lot more important than talking to a bald, bearded fuck like me. Um, but no, nah, man, I loved it. I just I, I feel bad that I didn't shut the fuck up for two hours. Are you kidding me? Listen, you gave me everything I was going to ask you anyway. So all we got to do, what I'll probably do is we'll edit it and put it like into thirty minute uh, episodes or something that way. Hey, whoever the editor is, man, let me know next time I see you or whatever. I'll send you a bottle of booze or buy you a nice drink. Because I feel bad that you're going to have to edit this into like a 12-part David Canner doesn't shut up series. Kai's very good at what he does. He'll, he'll do just fine. <laughs> He's, I've got to go through and watch it and like find the times of what I want done at, at certain points and stuff because he'll edit it without even watching it. He's that good at what he does. So it's, it's, it's impressive. Just, just let him know he's got, a, he's got an old-fashioned coming for him at, uh, at uh, what's that steakhouse in Atlanta that I love? Steak 48, is it? The steak American food. cut, American cut, American cut, American cut. Um, what is my is guy Bo there? Man, I love that place. What is it? I haven't been there. I've read about my it. spot. My spot. I don't even know with COVID if it's even open anymore. Is uh, is La Biblioca? There's one in Manhattan and there's one in, in Atlanta. Man, we, we, is, is... we took over that restaurant for Super Bowl. Me and all my clients. I was there. Uh, I think three nights or no, three yeah three nights in a row, and I did a brunch party there during the day with some people in the liquor industry. Fucking awesome. That's okay. not for the show. But. There's a, I mean, there's a ton of a ton of places that we would love, that we've always wanted to go eat here. We just, I used to live off of North Druid Hills Road in, in Atlanta. Okay. Yeah, I'm, we've been here for going on three years now. Um, where, where are you from originally? I'm from Baton Rouge, Louisiana originally, but we came here from Austin, Texas. So you're, you're a Saints fan for real. Oh, yeah, since I was a kid. Um, but my, how come you said Baton Rouge, Louisiana, not Baton Rouge? Because only assholes say it like Baton Rouge. You're not a Kunas? Can you do it? Can you do the Kunas accent? Oh, yeah. Yeah, my, my Uncle Jake, when he, when he starts talk, talking like this, that partner, yeah, he, yeah, he can do all that, do that, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's crazy, man. It's like, just getting it all scattered down there? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, we're just going to go down. We're just going to get down there. Yeah. yeah, we're just going to get on down there. I love that. I love <laughs> yeah, that accent, yeah. by the way. It's the greatest. I love Baton Rouge, by the way. What a great city. 
Oh, it's phenomenal. Everybody there is so nice. It's, it's great. My wife and I Only if like, uh, like LSU football, though. What's that? Only if you like LSU football. Oh, man. Coach Orange? Man, I love Coach O. That, that's the voice of all voices. Holy that shit. That man, go Tigers. That's, that guy the is guys crazy. that impersonate that voice have to get injections in their throats after they do it because <laughs> they probably need cortisone shots. All right, Jason, sorry I took up so much of your time. I appreciate you. Respect the fuck out of you. I'll get you some players on the, on the air. Uh, I appreciate you. I guess Kamala doesn't really count. And then uh, <laughs> let's keep in touch, bro. Text me anytime. I'd love to, man. David? Thank you so much for being on Next the show. Next time you man. wear shorts and a t-shirt and flex those muscles, dude. You got it, man. I'll, I'll make sure. I tried to look like The Rock, you know. Just That's okay. Got to work on this. Hey, if we had his money, we could dress like him too. Oh, we should, for sure. David, thank you so much for being on the show. Anytime, man. bro. Look forward to meeting you in person, and, and we'll definitely throw down a couple of drinks, bro. I would love to do that, my man. Take care. Tell your family I appreciate them letting you have me on for so much time. Oh, definitely. Tell your family I appreciate them too. Axel, Austin. They don't, they don't care. <laughs> Go get your kid that Roblox, man. Yeah, no chance, by the way. Zero <laughs> chance. It's fucking bedtime. It's 8.30. Go to bed. All right, my man. Bye. All right. What's up, everybody? Marcus Grant here from NFL Network, and you are listening to Jay, the Fantasy Football Plug, on the Fantasy Football Plug podcast. Get plugged up, everybody. Tune in, this is where it's at, the Fantasy Football Plug Podcast, you know that we got it poppin', oh yeah, that's apparent, got a shout out to my homie, one and only Jay Parrish, yeah, tune in, you already know what's up, they call him the Fantasy Football Plug, it's time to turn it up, I bet you can't get enough, got him bouncing like they in Louisiana, huh, bruh, hey, the Fantasy Football Plug Podcast, let's go.